0: When we think of speaking up on behalf of women, so often there is a fear associated to how it might impact our lives. Did you know that 90% of people will only ever be a bystander to some sort of impropriety, which means that we all need to examine our role and our complicity when we find out a woman has been abused physically, emotionally, or spiritually. The big question is how do we ensure the safety and equity of women in the workplace and in places of worship? Today on the podcast, I'm chatting with Tiffany Bloom, the author of Pray Tell, why we silence women who tell the truth and how everyone can speak up. And we're going to be talking about why women stay silent, what is the role of the gatekeeper, how we're benefiting from a broken system and what it takes to become an ally. You're
1: listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon.
0: Hey friend, welcome to The Courage Cast. My name is Andrea Crisp. I am so glad that you've joined me today. This is a super important conversation. And I've been sitting on it for a while because I've been just waiting for the time to release it. And you know, it's one of those topics that is so important that it really needs our undivided attention. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that I really don't often ask you to do. And that is to actually take the time to be present and listen during this particular conversation because so often when we hear things we kind of are doing many many other things we're multitasking but I think it's really important for us to know how to become allies for women who are marginalized who have been abused emotionally physically spiritually and how to use our voices and what it takes for us To stand in the gap with other women. And I'm really excited to share the conversation with Tiffany Bloom, who wrote the book called Pray Tell. Honestly, I would highly recommend getting your hands on this book. I think if you have ever been abused in any way, shape or form, you are going to completely understand uh, what we're talking about in this. And I just want to also say that For some of you this may be a bit triggering so i just want to put a little trigger warning in there for those of you who may need it but this is also a really great episode for us to share with our husbands our fathers our brothers our partners people who are in positions of power gatekeepers if you will so that they understand what it takes for them also to really establish an equitable place for women to be so that they're not silenced and so that their voices can be heard friend i am so excited to bring you this episode with tiffany bloom tiffany thank you so much for being on the courage cast today i'm really excited to chat with you man this book is something else okay so called pray tell and i'm i've got to read you know the tagline why we silence women who tell the truth and how everyone can speak up and you know it was interesting because I I was like I was kind of taken aback when I started to read the book because I was like okay this is not just for women this is for everyone to read and you talk a lot about allyship in the book especially towards the end and how how you can do that and thank you for being on the show
1: oh thanks for having me truly an honor
0: Now, I know that there's, you know, some of your own story woven into the pages of the book. And and I know that, you know, I I just, well, I mean, I can't imagine, like, honestly, I've thought about, you know, sharing my own story over the years. Um, I've shared like bits and pieces of my story, you know, through the podcast, through um, different things that I've done, but never like in its entirety, which you don't do either, particularly. But it's still like, like, whoa, super scary. You know, like, I was like, you're taking a huge, huge step. So I have to know what prompted you? Like, what was the thing that was like, I have to write about this?
1: Yeah. After my own experience of speaking truth to power and finding that I was disposable and the man who abused his power at a woman's expense was seen as indispensable. I started to grapple with the professional financial, uh, reasons why we silence women the societal reasons as well why we silence women and how it is harming half the world and we have been so conditioned to operate in systems where where the advancement of many agendas whether it's in politics education business um in churches is predicated on the subjugation and the silence and slander of women And so it was one of these things that was starting from a personal experience, but then turned into a, man, this is happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. And most of us, we see the news and we see BBC news or CNN, and we wonder how did this happen? Or why didn't a woman speak up or... Why didn't she say anything? Or why didn't anyone else stop this guy from being a monster? And in reality, we are all complicit in systems that harm women. And I don't just mean sexual um, harassment or assault or anything like that. I mean, anytime there's an imbalance of power, where to get ahead, a man will abuse his power and a woman will be on the receiving end of that. That could be her reputation, that could be her platform, that could be her financial standing, and of course, it could be her body.
0: And, you know, it was interesting, like, as I read through the, you know, the first couple chapters, and just really, you're describing, you know, some of the ways in which, you know, there is that imbalance of power. You know, it really struck me because I was thinking to myself, you know, I have seen so much of this, and didn't realize, maybe I could have spoken up. So like, my own story, there is that, right? And I feel like I was silenced. But then I'm thinking, you know what, I probably silence people. And mm-hmm. I was complicit in some of these things because I didn't know to speak up because I had been silenced as well. And it kind of is a cycle that we, you know, kind of get into. That's right. And even, That's you know, right. this entire year where so much has changed and so much has come to the forefront. I think it's a real new dynamic now that like things are shifting. And I, I just I don't know. I want to know from your perspective, like, why do you think women stay silent?
1: Uh, There is a myriad of reasons. There really is. I think number one, we self silence, especially if our formative years were ones where to get ahead or to be seen as likable, we would silence those small interactions because we know we either wouldn't be believed or it wasn't expected, or if it was a patriarchal culture where you just had to get on board and this is the way it is, especially Mm -hmm. in those years where, you know, you're. Prefrontal cortex is still developing. That becomes your worldview and the way you think that things are normal. And we've normalized so much of just even the smallest slights against women. So we self-silence. Another reason why we silence women is because if she speaks up, she has enough examples around her. I think of Dr. Kristen Blasey Ford. She, you know, a document's leaked and she's forced to speak up and testify, and millions of people are watching, and she still has private security detail. And and the person she spoke up against is sitting on the highest bench in the land. Mm
0: -hmm. We
1: see examples of how women are treated in the public square and we think, why would I put myself in front of the firing squad? I would not do such a thing. So then we stay silent that way. Another way we stay silent and silence women is financially, we will silence women with having them sign on the dotted line of NDAs. NDAs are so common to keep women from sharing their experiences, especially in business education, universities, politics for sure because we don't want we don't want our dirty laundry aired it makes the entity it makes the institution look bad and so we'll pay off a woman and others can come and be in this entity and have no idea that there's been any uh, malfeasance or misconduct because we'll we'll make her sign away her silence um another reason before
0: you before you go to the next one these ndas because i was really interested in that like are these women signing them after they've accused someone and then they say,
1: okay, well, we'll pay you out or to basically to silence them. 100%. Yeah. And it's advantageous for their legal representation because it's a quick case. It's, it's one and done. They don't have to drag it out in court. And if they don't win, which is so unlikely that a woman would be able to prove that she's been, you know, taken advantage of in one way or another, professionally, personally. Um, so it's a, it's a quick way out. It's such, commonplace and it is really perpetuating this culture of silence
0: yeah Um, okay that makes sense because I was just thinking about that as I was reading the book and I thought you know what like what if something happened and a woman's listening to this and she's like okay well what do I do and then you don't even know that you're going to possibly be silenced and then you're in the room and this form is slid across the table and you're not really supported and before you know it you're silenced
1: Mm -hmm. And now you can't talk to, to anyone about it. You can't talk to your partner, your therapist, your friends, you can't tell a soul what you've been through. So you're suffering, you're, you're still dealing with the emotional and mental and physical fallout of what you've experienced, but there's no healing. And if you pursue healing, you're breaking your NDA. Really? I did not know that.
0: So like, they're literally saying, so like, say if a person has maybe gone through therapy, and done some healing or whatever. And then can they still sign an NDA? Like, is someone going to, you know, in order to not charge the person or like, I mean, yeah,
1: I think every situation is different, but if they've already revealed what they've experienced, then they would likely give the therapist or somebody an NDA to sign as well my goodness.
0: Okay. Like, wow. These are things like, I just didn't know. And, and that's the thing, right. Is like, it's one thing to know women are silenced. And it's another thing to say, well, how do you protect yourself against being silenced? Right. 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 Okay. Sorry. No, keep, keep going. So another
1: way that women are silenced is just fear. Fear and intimidation is outrageously effective. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in my situation, I stayed silenced because I had proximity to power Mm-hmm. And I had resources and I was the breadwinner for my home, Andrea. Like what I thought to myself, what, what am I going to do? Really? But at the same time, I I thought, you know, it, it matters to speak up on behalf of others, but it is again, another way we silence women is, you know, if their paychecks on the line and they want to honor the gatekeepers who let them in, then that's a great way to stay silent. You should be happy. You're even in the room. Why would you speak up? Why would you, why would you critique or criticize anything that's happening? So mm-hmm. A myriad of ways. And then of course, if you are in a faith context, uh, scripture, biblical scripture can be weaponized against women Mm -hmm. to, um, to bully them into silence as well.
0: Absolutely. Like this whole gatekeeper thing, like when I read, read about that, I, I just need you to explain that because for people for that are listening to this, and I encourage you, if you're a woman listening to this get your husband, your partner, your boyfriend, your brother, wherever, whomever, because I think we all need to hear this and understand like really what's happening, but who are the gatekeepers?
1: Yeah. The gatekeepers are the ones who hold the majority of the power. So in business and education, it might be a Dean at a school. It might be your boss at Starbucks. It might be um, human resources, even um, at your place of employment. It might be your pastor, anybody who has power Mm -hmm. And they have been able to decide how much platform or how much uh, space you occupy in any given system. So for me, um, the person, a superior in my life, he had a lot of power over me and he was able to architect my existence in his system and what I got, what I didn't, opportunities, um, relationships, uh, 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 you know promotions, all of those things were on that gatekeeper. So my job was obviously to do my job, but in reality, my job was to keep the gatekeeper happy. And if this is somebody who is undeserving of that power or is taking advantage of that power, then we're in a world of trouble, especially if they display any narcissistic tendencies where they're you know living in an alternate reality and distorting reality of what is they they're not practicing empathy they're thinking of only their agenda but not the well-being or the advancement of other people and so we so many of us as women we have the positions we do we have the place in the world we do because a man gave it to us Absolutely. because a man gave it to us yeah. and if it wasn't us it would have been our moms or our grandmas or our great grandmas uh, and so we we have you know and even the industrial revolution was advanced in such a manner because of low-wage earning women, because mm-hmm. women were forced into the workforce. And therefore, you know, the North, the North American continent became this empire. It was it was women. I mean, history will tell this story. So it's it's we have to be able to see where we've come from to see how much power and the inordinate power we've given men in every system that we operate in. Mm-hmm. Again, whether it's government, education, business, what have you. So if men hold so much power, and if they're not sharing it and it's not equitable, they are often the gatekeepers. But if they don't see our our lot in life as something to care for, something to advance, then we can be in a world of hurt keeping them happy.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because I think you you talk about in the book how some women do end up, you know, knowing about you know abuse in maybe their workplace, maybe it's their church, maybe it's like ew, well, it well could be anywhere really. Yeah. And they stay silent because they're also they have power as well. Yeah. And and if they speak up, they'll lose power. That's right. And they've taken, you know, lots of hits maybe even to get to the place that they've gotten to. And, and why like, would oh they my gosh, I'm totally gonna give up everything for this that this happened, even though it didn't happen to me like this. But like it to me it seems like, okay, well you're still being abused. Right. You're just not
1: being abused in the same way. Right. And we compare, don't we? We think, well, that's not that's not happening to me. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Yeah. Right? Like that's not my situation. Why would I leverage my position And put myself in front of a firing squad for someone else. But in reality, and that's why I wrote Pray Tell, is because 90% of us, Andrea, are going to be the bystander. 90% Mm. of us, we're going to see some sort of impropriety and be like, something's not right there. Yeah what's my role? What's my job? Oh, I think I'm just going to back up. I don't want to be seen as a gossip. I don't want to be seen as the person who's always critiquing everything. I don't want to be seen as disgruntled. I don't want to be seen as a crusader. All of these things, we just don't want to be seen as disagreeable. As human beings, I think, and especially women, because we're taught to be nice at the expense of being kind, Mm -hmm. we just don't want to be seen as disagreeable. So then you add on that layer of, but I benefit from this system in some way, shape, or form. Um, So it's that ethical question, that moral question of, if something's happening to somebody else, what's my role? What's my job? Because this isn't written from the point of view of a victim of that imbalanced power. It's written from a bystander, someone who's watching this unfold and realizing that oh my goodness, my participation is required because silence demands nothing of you. Demands mm-hmm. nothing of you. Speaking up could demand a little. It could demand, you know, something somewhere in the middle. It could demand a lot of you, and that's where. I'm asking readers to consider how they're benefiting from broken systems yes. and what would it take to architect equitable ones?
0: You know, whether or not you are a female or a male, you know, and I can see that in so many different circumstances, there was a, a situation that I was the bystander in. Mm. And I think this is really when it came to my attention the most was, and this girl has publicly talked about this so it's not you know i can't i can disclose it but she was um assaulted in her workplace and then went to a leadership um member of our church who basically kind of threw her under the bus basically was how that all shook down i didn't know the girl at the time and you know through a series of events you know, it got, went from bad to worse because basically they accused her of saying like, well, you're trying to manipulate this leader by telling him your sad story and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Right.
1: Gaslight. Wow. Yeah.
0: So what ended up happening was, is that friends of hers said, why don't you talk to Andrea and, you know, like just share what has happened. And so, they shared with me what had happened in the situation. I was completely shocked. A, that it had happened. Number two, that she had spoken up and had been treated so horrifically. Mm. And I was in this position for me that I was like, I don't even know what to do. Like, yeah. I wasn't sure, like, who's at fault here? Like, what do I do? And, you know, it, basically I was in a, in a place where I was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Like, what, like, what is the course of action you want to take? You know, and she was still in a place where she needed some healing and had the reason why she had said what she said was because she trusted that individual and needed healing and went to a leader in a church and, and then had been like totally, you know, accused of something. Mm. And that's where it was like, okay, you're in a position where you have now been abused in some way, whether it's emotionally, sexually, you know, in in any way, and then you speak up and you become like victimized a second time.
1: Yes. So it's that one, two punch, isn't it? It's that one, two punch of something traumatic happened. And then the second punch is those who you were willing to entrust this very unfortunate news to they were complicit in that moment and enabled that behavior and re-triggered that trauma that you originally went through. I think there's nothing more painful than that second punch because it's it's already happened and that's right. traumatic, but then to share it with somebody that you thought was going to help you. And that that right there encapsulates why I felt like pray-tell was so necessary is because it's all of us who receive this information. The way we receive it can either trigger more harm or we can help architect some healing and some safety. So can we talk about that?
0: Because yeah. I think that's super important. Like in, in the case of this individual, you know, someone comes to me shares, discloses this information to me, you know, what is that? What is the responsibility of the person who hears the information, whether it's the first time, the second time, the third time, doesn't really matter yeah. to like, what, what, what should we do?
1: Yeah, I think first I'm going to use a very uh, theological word here is lament, which just means to grieve. We must grieve that something has happened without knowing the details, without knowing how we could personally lose something or how we could personally gain something, Mm -hmm. even if it affects us in any way, shape, or form. We need to, but lament requires admitting that this is happening. You know, it's, we just, we want to live in denial. We want to believe that. A a woman did something to deserve her harm. And so much of society has pointed to that. Like, well, if we can just prove that she did something, then we don't have to admit that this whole system is corrupt. And it's an act of Mm self-preservation because we think if if she went through this and she didn't do something to deserve it, then it could happen to me. It's that just world hypothesis where you believe everything is just bad things happen to bad people. It's that bootstrap mentality. Nope, I'm going to be okay if I pull myself up. This would never happen to me. I'd never put myself in that situation. I would never go work for that person, fill in the blank. So Mm -hmm. this idea of lament, just admitting that this is happening and grieving and taking that posture of humility in whatever space it is is so necessary because without that, we really can't address this issue. Secondly, we have to listen. And what happens when we listen is when a woman shares her experience, we respond with how I think we would have responded in our most perfect manner <laughs> instead of yeah. simply listening to her traumatic experience. That's in that's informed by her uh, formative years. It's informed by her understanding of who she is, how she sees men, how she sees other people, how she sees herself. So we are, again, we're projecting how we would handle it. And we say, are you sure but I don't see it like that or I don't know are you just into him or well what did you say first or similar what you you know the example that you just gave the projection that you shared and the manipulating and the gaslighting that came out when this woman vulnerably shared her testimony is uncalled for. It's unnecessary. And for many of us as friends, we're going to be the first level or, or bosses or HR, you know, so many of us are on the front lines of hearing these unpopular truths, but to simply sit and listen, consider our body. This is very practical, but consider our body language, consider our facial expressions, consider our tone, simply listen. We're not looking for evidence. We're not fishing for more details. We're listening. We're listeners. We're compassionate. We don't ask follow-up questions. We simply listen. Our presence is a gift. Mm -hmm. And if someone is brave enough to utter the words of what happened to them, meaning they've come to a place that they've admitted in themselves that this has happened, and they're finally brave enough to speak it, that took so much courage, so much courage. So we must honor that. And then next, we have to learn how these things happen because what happens is just like that person said, oh, well, you know, they gaslight and they manipulate and they turn the tables and they villainize the woman in the situation, which we've we we saw with Monica Lewinsky, Dr. Kristen Blasey Ford. We've seen even these women who were shot in this Atlanta shooting villainized for where they worked. Yes, they were simply existing. We have villainized women, so we've got to learn mm-hmm. historically why we've done that and why it's been advantageous why does that narrative continue in yeah. this modern day we've got to learn how that happens and then finally we have to love and i know that's a very juicy word but love looks like justice i think sometimes we want to just forgive or move on or like act like things aren't a big deal but justice is necess- justice for all not justice for the perpetrator justice for the victim there needs to be recompense, recompense and redress for this person who's endured harm and it doesn't look like a simple apology Sometimes it looks like calling the police, calling HR, reporting to the higher ups. It looks like shaking the, shaking the boat, you know, and we don't want to rock the boat for fear of falling out or getting thrown overboard, but it's necessary, or this is going to continually happen. And we're going to have this conversation in 50 years without any advancement. And specifically, you know, we're talking about imbalance of power that could affect a woman's reputation, financial standing, um you know, obviously her body, her, her place in society. But when it does come to anything relating to body and harassment and assault, even with the rise of the Me Too movement, which is mm-hmm. common vernacular now, there is still no policy or legislation up for a vote, up for a vote that would ensure safety and equity and where, in places that we work and worship. So even though we are having these conversations. There is no policy driving this yet, which just shows how much we need to really go at this with a grassroots effort for each and every one of us to consider our complicity and consider how we can architect better spaces.
0: And, you know, even with like you, the example that you just gave of these women who were shot, the eight women who were shot in Atlanta and, you know, they're looking at it now being a hate crime, but because they were working in more spa-like Places, you know, they're questioning, well, were they sex workers, you Mm -hmm. know? And of course that is not known, but immediately people go to that, right? And go, well, they've already positioned them there themselves there. And, and I really just take a step back and go, yeah, but you know what? Like a woman's a woman, whether she has decided to do something or not. And further to that, because I have friends in, that you know run uh anti-trafficking movements a lot of these women are there because they don't want to be there like right. they don't want to be there they're there right. under duress themselves right. anyways yeah um so it's not always something that they've chosen to do that's right already that's right. so you know it really made me think to myself like you know wow we really want to jump to a conclusion before we get all the facts yep. before we and, and, and how easy it is to shift the blame to these women than to say this white man who, you know, had, you know, and I just even think about like what the police said, you know, about like, on, you know, he had a bad day. And yeah, sure. He had a bad day. But like, that's what you're going to lead with. Like, that's yeah. the thing you're leading with yeah. is, you know, and I have compassion for individuals, you know, on every level. Like, uh, I want to know why did you do that? Like, what mm-hmm. what happened to you that has made you do that to someone else? Like, That's that right. is part of my wiring. Um, not everybody has that. <laughs> I am one of those people. Like, I watch prison documentaries and all these <laughs> things. I am super like interested in like, okay, what's the sociology involved with all this? Right. Um, but in the same way, you know, I think to myself too, it's like you know, it's so easy for us to blame a victim. And not to blame someone who is perpetrating. And, you know, even I was, you know, I was going back and forth. Like, do I share this? But I really feel like it is necessary, I think, to share when, and I won't share the details, but I'll share how I felt about it. When I was younger, something happened to me and I was silenced and not that I wasn't listened to. But I was silenced in that nothing happened. So nothing, you know, no uh, consequences for this individual. And I was young and I spoke up, which is just shocking even that I would have done that. But nothing happened for, gosh, like 25 years. And uh, it's only now that I'm realizing there are so many things in my life that I'm having to go back and look at the childhood wounds and it. Some of it doesn't stem from the initial assault. It is. Mm. It stems from feeling like I was silenced and not protected. Yeah. And I think that right there, I think we underestimate what's happening to people, to women, to, you know, building their identities and having, you know, everything about, who they believe themselves to be is, is really just killed in that moment Mm -hmm. because not only were they victimized in, in some way, but then someone didn't do something to, to help them and take them out of the situation and provide safety for them and provide a voice for them and speak on their behalf because of maybe what they would have to go through, as you've pointed out in your book very eloquently. But here we are as women, you know, 30 years later Um, Sometimes not that, you know, three months later, and we're dealing with these childhood traumas and wounds that, to be honest, Tiffany, I ended up having so many other situations that when I was working in churches where I was spiritually abused, you know, and emotionally abused because I didn't know how to use my voice. Mm. I had used it once when I was young, spoke up, but learned that it didn't get me anything. That's right. right. So then when I would, put my, when I was in other positions, I didn't put myself in the positions, but when I worked for a church here, I was, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, like, I don't know how to speak up for myself now. Like, will anybody even believe me? And there were so many instances where I had to fight and claw my way out of certain things. But at the end of the day, you know, it was really hard for me to use my voice because I didn't know how to use it anymore. And I think that's where a lot of women, you know, there, we don't know what's happened even before this
1: right we don't know their formation no we don't know their family of origin we don't know their experiences before that and I think you know you talked about being younger and not, not it's not that you weren't heard it's that action wasn't taken That's it for you to be protected and that is just so beautiful I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that girl I'm gonna yeah, steal that and talk about that you so good. <laughs> but that idea that idea that you knew so now in part of your identity is I know if I want to continue to advance in any space, it is not worth it for me to speak up because if I wasn't protected then, why would I be protected now? Exactly. Again, that conditioning. Absolutely.
0: And I've been thinking about that a lot for the past few months. And when I read your book, I was like, it, it triggered me in some ways because I was like, wow, this is really, there's so much here. Like there's so much, there's layering to unpack. And I probably think I need to read it again In a different setting where I'm not going to, you know, have a conversation with you Um, (laughs) just to kind of get the full picture, because when you can take yourself out of the scenario, like I just imagine like the U.S. gymnasts, you know, yeah, and I can see that very, very clearly with Larry Nassar. Mm-hmm. And all of the, you know, and what it took. And I've even watched documentaries on this. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, these young women, like hundreds oh. of young women hundreds. abused by him because, and they continued to elevate him. They continued. To, and like, and I wonder what the silencing was. Like, I mean, I mean, we'll never maybe know like to what degree, but I think to myself, like how many young women now have so much ahead of them how much work inner work yeah. and to maybe even like cut that off at the past like if we can teach women now That's to right. speak up and yeah. and if we can t- and I'm like teach women other women to say I will stand with you I will stand yep. for you if our dads and our brothers and our husbands and our partners learn to stand up for us and learn to say, this is not like, this is not acceptable. That's you right. can't do that. You can't say that. I think it would change so much.
1: Can you talk about allyship? Like, yeah. what does that yeah. look like? Yeah. It has to start young. Just as you said, our, our children, what if we could cut it off at the past? And, uh, you know, research shows that for kids as early as 24 months, they will start to make excuses for harm done to them. If it was at the hands of adults, they trusted. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. So you take that knowledge and then you also put into this knowledge that, you know, by the time a girl's in middle school, she's likely been harassed by her male peers. And, these boys are doing it to prove that I'm a man to the other boys in their class and the other girls. So We've normalized harassment at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And even if we're t- having those conversations at home and um, in, in maybe we think we're seeing this appropriate relationship and appropriate interaction at home, that we don't know what they're seeing on the playground. We don't know what they're seeing in video games. We don't, I mean, we don't know all the things that they're exposed to. So the lack of conversation is pretty dangerous. It's dangerous. So if we can have those conversations of you're the boss of your body, you don't get to dominate anyone else's time, physical space or body without their consent. We've made consent such a dirty word. We have to normalize it. Meaning there has to be an exchange and understanding that you both are going to go play on the playground together. Or you, you know, if Susie doesn't want to go down the side after you, you don't get to decide that she's going to do that with her time. You don't get to have domination over someone else's space, body, time, or choices. And so mm-hmm. if we can start those conversations young with boys and girls, mm-hmm. then we're off to a great start. Now, of course, in middle school, we know that, that new statistic about harassment. So then we have to talk through with our young boys and our young girls. Hey, if somebody said this in the locker room or if somebody said this at lunch, what could you say in response to that? Because if we let it slide, it becomes normal and it becomes okay. So what could we, well, let's practice some responses to that. You know, and then we see in fraternity culture that goes on into adult life that's so scary because universities are the ones making excuses for 19-year-old boys abusing their power and abusing their abusing women's bodies and a Mm dorm and rape culture is so common in university campuses and and deans and admission boards they want to look the other way because it's going to make their entity look bad rather than putting into place um systems and structures that would protect their 19 year old baby girls on these campuses i truly just it it, that made me
0: they gave me chills when you just said that
1: yes just we send our daughters off to this like war zone where they can be taken advantage of so easily and the people charged with protecting them will do no such thing And then she has to go to biology two Oh one tomorrow morning and see him and have that triggering experience. So we have got to have these conversations younger and younger and younger. And, and because it's, we got to normalize respect, Mm -hmm. normalize respect. We just, we assume Andrea, that our kids get it by watching us. There are things that are caught, but there are things that are taught. So Mm -hmm. having those conversations young is so necessary. And then of course, um, you know systemically we've got to address this in university settings and in school settings in middle school settings and elementary school settings yeah uh, in workplaces of what's appropriate behavior what's not behavior because we we sometimes in the name of candor or in the name of honesty or no we're cool here you know i think especially in cultures that are unregulated and there's no accountability system and there's no reporting system anything goes, you can talk to someone like that. And there's no difference in faith space. There's an anything goes mantra and there's no accountability. There's, I mean, there's things I've heard in faith spaces that you would get fired if you worked at a hospital for saying those same things, or you'd get fired if you worked anywhere else for saying that those exact same things. So we've got to be able to have an across the board. Here's what's appropriate here. and have reporting structures where women aren't demonized for coming forward. They won't lose everything they hold dear for wanting to speak up. And
0: I don't think that it should be just for like the church here is this. And then the university is that and the workplace. I mean, it should be across the board where this is like just how it is. Come on. Everyone has to comply to this and not comply in the sense of because I I know a lot of people are like, oh, now we've got to do this, you know, but the, the reality is, is like, really, there has to be a mindset shift around what what's really happening here. And I think until you've either experienced it, you've been with somebody who's experienced it, and you've seen it with your own eyes. And even if you have seen it with your own eyes, sometimes you still don't get it. You still don't really get it, right? Yeah, you said something, and I wish I had stopped you then. But you said no one, no one can make choices about our what was it? Time, body? Oh, yeah. Can you say that again? Space.
1: We don't get to dominate other people's time, space, or body. Oh,
0: I mean, just that right there. We could have just said that. Like, it doesn't matter who you are, a woman. A man. a man
1: young old
0: yeah we don't get to dictate to someone else their time what they do with their time their like what's happening in their physical space and their bo- like we don't get we don't get to that's right like that's not our responsibility uh like that's amazing
1: And you know, it's one of those things that it, we see, we see news articles on CNN or BBC news. And we're like, how did that happen? Why didn't anybody say anything? Mm -hmm. Who was, who knew and didn't, and didn't speak up or, or what, you know, why did she wait until now? We ask all of these leading questions. And in reality, they started as little things, right? Andrea? a hand on the back, talking over someone, Mm -hmm. undercutting someone's remarks. They start so small. And what we do is we normalize that warm water and then we slowly turn up the heat and before you know it you're in the deep end boiling to death and you're wondering wait a second how did i get here and it started with these micro events these micro exchanges that if we could catch those those tiny imbalances where somebody is demonstrative we could we could stop this well before it hits you know (laughs) right
0: I mean, I remember being in high school and working my first job and have working with some high school boys that didn't go to my high school, but not all of them did this. But there was a couple that were like really inappropriate with me and like under the guise of like, oh, we like you, Andrea, you're so cool, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I was a little bit younger than they were. And. You know, I wanted their attention and their, you know, like, because they were cool and we all worked in the same place together. Right. We're
1: human. We long for belonging. Come on. Yeah.
0: But I remember it's like, you know, now thinking back at the time, it wasn't like, oh, well, it's not a big deal. And it wasn't like nothing happened. But I'm like, it was so inappropriate. Like that language, the way you spoke to me was so inappropriate. And it just solidified in me that that's okay for someone to talk to me like that. Right. And because I didn't know that it wasn't okay for someone to talk to me like that. yeah, And, and of course for him, that it's okay to talk to women like that, especially when you're the only two working that day or, yeah. and you know, there's so often where you might be in a workplace. And I even think now, like, you know, I'm an entrepreneur now, so I don't have anybody working with me. So no one's going to say it to me in that context. But, you know, you, you always, always wonder, like, if somebody said something really inappropriate to me, what would I say? Like, would I have the guts to actually say, you're yeah, like, that's super inappropriate. Yeah. And, and because of my own history of being silenced, would the words come, you know? And I yeah. wonder about that and thinking about, you know, a lot of times we tell girls, well, you're rude. Don't say that.
1: That's right. Just and be nice. Yeah. Just be just, nice.
0: Yeah. And let the, you know, it's okay. He'll go away. He'll stop bugging you. And it's like, it's like, if you ignore him, he'll go away. Right. That's not really the truth. Right. It's like, no, we have to call it for what it is. And we have yeah. to tell him, no, that is not right. You can't do that. Maybe that was modeled for you. Maybe someone in your life treats women that way and you've learned that or how, you know, whatever, Yeah. but it's, it's not appropriate, you know, whether you're a teacher, your Sunday school teacher, you're an auntie, yeah, yeah. mom. Yeah. Yeah. All those things. And
1: we will do a disservice to our sons if we allow them to walk around with an inflated male ego and they will be fragile beings as adults, unable to see how they are so incredibly complicit in spaces that continually put women a second. But so going back to that allyship, it takes men seeing themselves as, this isn't, this isn't, you know, a female issue. This yeah. isn't a male issue. This isn't everyone issue. So everyone has a part to play in creating these equitable spaces that we long for because everyone benefits when there's equitable spaces. Everyone, no one loses out here. And yeah. so this idea that if you give women power, she'll misuse it mm-hmm. must be debunked because nothing could be further from the truth. Look at when more women are elected to office, safer laws are passed that benefit the whole, safer cities are designed. I mean, the GDP that. Is in every area. Of the world, yes. and more women were in leadership. Yes, I was. I had a lot of fun writing that. <laughs>
0: well, you know, it's interesting because I have a friend Ashley who is, a, you know, she's an urban planner, and I was meaning to like screenshot or well, screenshot. I was on my book. I was going to take a picture of it and send it to her because I was like, yes, that is why we need women who are you know, city planners, urban planners, because you're right. And it was like, I highlighted it. I'm like, it's in my book. It's in there. I'm like, I need to send Ashley that page. Uh, Yeah. When women are included in urban planning, safer cities are designed. When women are elected to boards, male CEOs are less overconfident and make better choices for their companies. When women are empowered to work economies flourish. So I got to ask you this, how do women pull up a seat at the table? when one is not pulled up for them?
1: Yes, I think there's a few things here. Number one, if you're listening and you are someone who has any leverage, any power, think, how could I not just advance my own agenda or my own vision of where I wanna go in life? How could I use this new opportunity or new resource or finances to ensure that other women or or if you're a man, women in general, could be in this space and place? And for me personally, Andrea, the most formative mentors in my life have been men. The people who've given me the most opportunity in life have been men. Now, some of them exploited that, exploited that loyalty, Yeah. but the majority of them did not. They did mm-hmm. no such thing. They saw my vision and my aptitude and my assets and thought you deserve to be in here, not because you're a woman, but because you're the right person for the job. Yeah. And so being able to see that there's something wrong if in a room, there's only one woman or zero women, not, we don't want the performative one woman who then every other woman feels pitted against. We need to have equal balance power. I don't care what industry. I don't care if if you're religious. What religion? Balanced power is necessary for the whole. So now, so that's if you have power. Now, if you don't and you're a woman, I, I first want you to think: What would it look like to garner support from other women and men in this space to push for women in power? Is an, is it worth the fight, or is this not a system? Is this a burning? house like is this ship going down because you maybe you need the freedom to leave and be liberated from that space it for for me that was the situation because there was this faux egalitarianism at play where women were supported and celebrated and emboldened on paper but in practice they were exploited so Mm -hmm. we've got to be able to see the signs and um you kind of hit that on the head of right at the beginning, you talked about when I read the book, it kind of gave me an understanding of my own experience. And that, you know, of the 300, 400 books that have been floating around as early reader books, I, that's the feedback I've got is like, wow, you gave vernacular to my experience. I now have a better lens to see my past experiences. So when I'm looking forward, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I know to avoid. This is how I can respond when I do see those things. So it's, it's so important for us to see is this an imbalanced power? Is this going well? Does there need to be change? Is this even worth the fight?
0: And I like that you, you know, really uh, lay that out for us because at the end, sometimes you have to be able to say, is this worth the fight? Because some places aren't. And right. if it's a to- a really toxic environment and you're sticking around, then you are going to get sucked into the drain and just keep swirling around. Yeah. And, and and I think that that's important is is for us to know when it is time to leave. And I think even having that support of other uh, female friends or male friends, male counterparts. I mean, I'll tell you, I, I've had some shitty experiences with some men in my life, some pastors, people I work with. I'm like, it's been. But then I've had some phenomenal phenomenal leaders and pastors and male and then also some incredible female mentors like I've had like I've had polar opposites yeah. to know what's good and what's bad but I think if we are in solid community where we can learn and grow together and I've, I've seen this with you know my friends when we were some of us were in a toxic environment together Mm. and coming out of that space and having to really heal and then like kind of unpack what happened and debrief and have that and know it's like okay when it is a toxic environment abuses happen whether it's emotional spiritual uh and that's in a context like that you know of course there's the, the physical which is a different context but yeah you know, when we have that support system to be able to really walk it out and heal and know it's okay that you walked away.
1: Yes. Yes. You didn't give up. Yeah. You're it is. It is probably the best thing. And sometimes the best thing is the hard thing is the right thing. Yeah. It's so okay to walk away, man. What a good word. I, I think, So many women feel like they need to stay in it, but this is, and and you know what though? Sometimes if your paycheck depends on it, that's a a weird feeling. It's a real thing. What do I do? What do I do? I mean, in my situation, that was very much the case. So I think, what do I do? How do I recover from this? But knowing that uh, this world is big, and yes. there are opportunities. And sometimes when you're in such a dysfunctional, toxic environment, you can feel like, well, it's not any better anywhere else. Where, where would I go? What would I do? And mm-hmm. you just get in this tunnel vision. And then you practice that euphoric recall where you're only remembering the good parts of the story or the good parts of where you've been. And you feel endeared to the people who are really taking advantage of you. But to be able to just take a minute, step back and share with someone you trust and allow them to lend their strength and walk this out together, because no one deserves to walk through this alone. I think in my own situation, I didn't get the courage to speak up until somebody lent me their strength.
0: Mm. And that's, you know, I mean, grateful that somebody did, right? You Probably. know, but, you know, I think, you know, it, it, I've even heard this when I'm coaching women and wild friends. You know, I've heard it a lot, but like, it's like, well, what if I'm called to this place? And I hear that so much. Like, I feel like God called me here. And I'm like, that is a theological, you know, like entangling. I'm like, okay. I'm like, you know what? Except for the fact that, you know, I think, I think Jesus is going to be okay. If you, if you let go and if that person's not walking in integrity and not, you know, protecting you, then it's not a place where you need to stay. Even if you feel like you're going to fix it, which I think so many women are like, well, I'll just stay and fix it.
1: Yeah, we do not set ourselves on fire to keep others warm. That is not our prerogative Yep. in any space or capacity. Mm, thank you for that.
0: <laughs> that is such, yeah, okay, that's good. Tiffany, uh, this has been amazing, like, to hang out. I, I mean, I feel like I could talk with you all day long about this, uh, for real. Like, it's just, I mean, people get the book. Give it to your dad, your brother, your boyfriend, your, you know, your best friend, pray tell Tiffany Bloom, and, and then like talk about it with each other. Because I think that, you know, not only just reading it, but having a conversation about like, how is this going to apply to my life? Like, where do I, what do I need to see out of this? Like these questions like asking yourself these questions like what do i take from this and how do i live differently and 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 really create a safe space whether it's emotionally for someone or physically for someone spiritually for someone um whether that be your daughter your niece your friend you know your mom yeah you know what it happens yeah. find out years and years later someone has you know gone through things that you have to then make space for them there that's right that's Tiffany right. it's been amazing um before we go I always love to ask people this and you know it's a little bit different because this has been a totally different topic this is I'm so I'm trying to change the mood here a little bit <laughs> <laughs> line it up uh, like music. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly <laughs> Stephen cue the good music here yeah um but no seriously like I, I love to chat with women who Are trailblazers. I love to talk with women who are like taking those brave steps and who are living life kind of like, you know, I give two shits about this. Like, I mean, you know, you probably do, but you know what I'm saying? Like, really just kind of leaning into the hard stuff. So I always want to ask, what is your next brave step?
1: Oh my gosh. You know what? I'm going to be very transparent. I'm going to go back to school and I am a mother. I work. And I've got my oldest has some some special needs that are pretty demanding of us uh, emotionally, financially, physically. And so going back to school has been my next brave step. And I'm so excited. I mean, I'm in my mid 30s and doing this and um, I, I couldn't be more excited.
0: That's really yeah. what are you going to take?
1: Oh, religion. You know, it, it's more of like world religions and and. Go from there, but um, the dream, the dream. Yeah. Here I am spilling my guts here. Yes, um, on the Courage Cast <laughs> uh, is I would love to marry my passion for justice and women and policy. So eventually, mm. um, pursuing a, a master's in public policy, would love to work with the UN. UN Women is it would be the dream working with them, and they have. Plenty of positions where they need people who are passionate about these things and know what they're talking about and want to enact change because it's one thing to write about this and then I'm such a doer, I'm a three on the Enneagram, it's a whole nother thing to go enact it and ensure that other people will live more equitable reciprocal lives because of my work so
0: yeah that's amazing and i hope i hope to see you doing that like i do too (laughs) you know that's amazing like i love that you are you you see the vision and you know the next step and you're just gonna just keep taking them so bravo Mm -hmm. thank Thank you so much um for writing the book For sharing your heart, for sharing this uh, space with us and for teaching us and letting us uh, lean into your wisdom. It's just, thank you. And where can people find you
1: online? Yes. Tiffanybloom.com. B-L-U-H-M. You can find um, all links to your favorite retailers for the book. You can watch the trailer. You can download the book club discussion guide. You can see so, oh, you can read the first chapter for freezy. You can listen to the first chapter for free. Um, and of course I hang out mostly on Instagram at Tiffany Bloom. Cool. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you.
0: Now there are so many takeaways from this episode, <laughs> I probably can't even get into all of them. But the one that I asked Tiffany to repeat was we don't get to dominate anyone else's time, physical space or body without their consent. And honestly, I grew up in a generation where, you know, we did dominate people's time, physical space and body. And, you know, it was kind of commonplace. And there have been so many things that I've personally had to Unlearn about how we interact with others and what is, you know, acceptable and appropriate behavior when it comes to being in a place of worship, when it comes to being in a workplace, or even in a relationship with a family member. And this is so important to teach the next generation because. They're going to be the ones that establish so many more of the things that we wish that we had had now. So I am just so grateful for having had this conversation with Tiffany. I want to say a huge thank you to Tiffany for being on the podcast and for really shedding light in this conversation and for, you know, really opening up um, this conversation for me. Specifically, so that I could share my story and I could allow myself, you know, even some healing in areas of my own life. And I hope that it's helped you. I would love to know what takeaways you are having from this conversation, maybe what you've learned. So go ahead and tag Tiffany and myself at at the dot courage cast and let us know what you thought of the conversation we would love to hear and of course make sure that you uh, connect with Tiffany you can by going to any of her social links and all of those will be available on thecouragecast.com and make sure as well that you connect with me because I'd love to hear from you friend until next time remember you have everything you need to live bravely